The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. Good morning. You're listening to Ask a Leader. I'm your host today, Claudia Shamba. Today on Ask a Leader, we are in the May 1st, 2012 edition. We're going to look at how health, how is health, how are women doing in their health in Orange County? We'll take that up with my first guest, Allison Sonnenshine. Allison Sunshine is a co-founder and director of the Orange County Women's Health Project. During the second half of the show, it's May Day. May Day. No, I'm not shouting that proverbial fire in the theater warning. No, it's about the International Labor Day observance taking place here in OC today and what it means in broader public policy terms. I'm glad that you're with us this morning. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Allison Sunshine. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My guest in the first half of the show is Allison Sonnenshine. Allison is the founding project director of the Orange County Women's Health Project, a nonprofit launched in 2010 to address the lack of coordination around women's health issues in Orange County, California. She's putting together the Orange County Women's Health Project, its inaugural event, the Orange County Women's Health Policy Summit, which we'll talk about in detail later. Prior to leading the, the, the project, Allison helped found the Pathways to Opportunities, a nonprofit dedicated to providing health, educational, and economic opportunities for low-income residents in Orange County and beyond. Pathways built upon the work she did with the Mirage Foundations, where she was integrally involved in setting up the nationally recognized SOS El Sol Wellness Center, located at El Sol Science and Arts Academy in Santa Ana. Prior to joining the Mirage Foundations, Ms. Sunshine was an attorney with the Los Angeles firm of Bingham McCutcheon. As a business litigator, Ms. Allison Sunshine represented clients in employment, intellectual property, defamation, breach of contract, and other commercial matters. Allison Sonnenschein, the former chair of the Board for Planned Parenthood over Orange County and San Bernardino counties, currently serves on the Leadership Council for the UC Irvine Program in Nursing. 
in advance of the Women's Health Policy Summit convening two weeks from now here on the UCI campus. That's May 15th. She comes to us live here in Studio A. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Allison Sonnenschein. Thank you for including me in the program today. We are glad to have you here because not only do you pack a wallop with all the public policy and business experience, but you continue to carry the banner for recognizing those that are underrepresented and how health care is being delivered. We're going to talk about that today. Well, first, tell us, and you pat yourself on the back along with the other four, tell us how five illustrious women you know, and you among them, founded the Orange County Women's Health Project. Well, it really started out as a kitchen table initiative, and the few of us were bemoaning some of the decisions that were being made on the national and the local level about women's health. This was a few years ago when we got to talking and decided to explore what type of information we could find about the state of women's health in Orange County and found it challenging at best. It was not easy as just an ordinary member of the public to access information and to understand how women were faring in terms of their health in the county. And we have so many wonderful organizations in Orange County that focus on discrete medical conditions or specific segments of the population, but they don't necessarily talk to each other. So we set out to bring together representatives from a variety of different organizations across disciplines and explore what was the most pressing concern that these folks were facing in their day-to-day practice. Well, let's let's talk about them. That's uh, Susan Bryant, Carol Gopfordson, uh, Ellen Oshansky, and Stephanie Kite. That's that's just like the uh, the blue blood of healthcare activism. Tell us a little bit about what each one of them has been bringing. Thank you. It's it's humbling to be in this group. Uh, Dr. Bryant is a retired vice chancellor of research here at UC Irvine, and she has been instrumental in making introductions and securing some necessary recognitions by the university. Ellen Olshansky is the director of the nursing program at UC Irvine and her Center for the Advancement of Women's Health is one of the hosts of our policy summit in two weeks. Carol Gottfriedson, an academic coordinator in the Department of Education is extremely involved in the community as well and has been instrumental in bringing people to our effort from a variety of different community-based organizations. And Stephanie Kite is the Vice President for Community Affairs at Planned Parenthood and has been very generous in helping to shape the vision and the overall policy objectives for the organization. And I just I want to say about Stephanie Kite, there's a lot to say about all of them. Stephanie Kite's been on this program before and she's on her way shortly. Uh, Do you know when she's going to be leaving the Orange County Planned Parenthood? I believe this is her last week locally, and she is actually taking the mantle at a newly formed affiliate called Planned Parenthood of Ohio. And she'll begin in that position in, I believe, two weeks. Wow. So uh, we have a debt of gratitude to pay her for her distinguished leadership and outreach and connection uh, 
in, in this broader community, and we're going to miss her. But uh, but she was able to be around long enough here to get this program, this uh, the, the project together. And uh, Susan Bryant now she's she's emeritus. She's not fully retired. She's still got her finger in That's the, um, the the UCI kind of uh, research activity as well as I think she's she's been very active with the public policy dimension as well. Everyone has been participating in helping to develop the greater vision and what our policy objectives should be. That's actually ultimately what we're trying to achieve is to identify the relevant data and use that information to drive policy recommendations so that we can not only assess the state of women's health, but facilitate improvements in women's health in the county. Well, let's talk about um, if there's a general sort of thumbtack um, sort of a speech that you give about what generally is the problem with the disparities in Orange County? What can we know is the like are the most salient problems right now? Well, it's not all bad. I'll start by saying that in general, when you compare Orange County to the rest of the counties in the state, we are doing very well in terms of our health. And the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, in collaboration with the University of Wisconsin, has recently published, uh, starting a I believe two years ago, the county rankings, in fact, was just released for this year last week and ranked against the rest of the state. Orange County is either sixth or eighth out of 58 counties, depending on what you're measuring. However, the issue really becomes more apparent as you drill down. So as you would expect, women in Orange County are generally healthier than their peers, but as we drill down into lower income segments of our population, they're actually not doing as well as their peers. Similarly, women- Excuse me, just clarify, Allison, when you mean by their peers, you mean the women in other counties in California? Or? That's right. Okay. That's right. And actually, we, we, just, we try to look at not only how women are faring in Orange County comparing to women in the rest of the state, but also how women are doing compared to men in the county. Okay. Sometimes that information is readily available, sometimes not. So we've had to look at different standards of measure in order to assess the state of women's health in the county. And when you say sixth or eighth, and that is that in terms of funding? Is it in terms of it's actually, uh, their health indicators? Or it's what their health it, outcomes. Their health and look, outcome. they're looking at, I don't have the materials in front of me, but um, they're looking at various health indicators, weighting those, so tobacco usage, longevity, um, longevity, um, access to screenings. They're looking at environmental determinants of health as well. So proximity to transportation centers, access to parks and green space. And then they're looking at traditional measures, uh, emergency room data, hospital data, and so on. And they have their own system for measuring and weighting, but they come up with a score. Okay. And a, whether you're looking at morbidity or mortality, Orange County residents as a whole are doing really well. But when we're looking at Orange County women, particularly women of color and lower income women, we're not doing so well. And then of course there are issues that affect women universally in the county. And even if we may be doing well overall, why not do better? That's really the right. challenge. And why not now? This is a great opportunity. Healthcare reform has highlighted the importance of preventive care. And through all of the noise <laughs> that we have been subjected to about what should and should not be covered, 
what's really emerged is a message of focusing on prevention as a way of not only improving health outcomes, but also cutting costs. Well, this noise that you refer to, it's like a, a moving goalpost here with the, like last week's um, recommendation from the GOP that the student loan um, interest rates that uh, being held to a, a lower rate would be offset by some of the women's screening um, entitlements in the health care reform package. I mean, that must, must keep uh, all of you going crazy that you never know when uh, the uh, women's health care policy is next under attack for uh, some unrelated or uh, perhaps maybe just ill-advised uh, uh, penny smart pound foolish kinds of uh, uh, federal outlays of, of federal health expenditures. Absolutely. I, I still can't figure out why it is that women's health is so commonly uh, considered a sacrificial lamb. And whether we're talking about the accessibility to contraception in 2012, whether that's a good idea, it's just astounding. And it's interesting, as I started to say earlier, we have so many terrific organizations in Orange County that do focus on areas of women's health, but they don't necessarily talk to each other. We don't have an infrastructure. Other counties have a dedicated office of women's health or perhaps at least a staff person dedicated to women's health within a healthcare department or an existing coalition of women's health groups. Nothing like that existed, but there certainly is a lot of interest, and we have terrific expertise and talent. So we have really enjoyed serving as the convener for a wide variety of stakeholders who are concerned about women's health. And we aim to be much more effective as a unified voice so that we can be heard through the noise that you were just referring to. And I Wonderful. Uh, you, uh, that'll be a refrain for today, too, is unification around a, a goal to be more effective. You've, if you've just joined us, my guest today is Allison Sonnenschein, founding director of the Orange County Women's Health Project, convening the uh, first, the inaugural uh, women's um, Orange County Women's Health Summit uh, on May 15th. This is on KUCI. Today you're listening at Ask a Leader 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming to you live on the web at KUCI.org. We're in the middle of our fun drive, and uh, I'm asking you to support our radio station as we try to cobble together those funds. And so we're trying to raise $10,000 this spring fund drive. We're, we're inching our way. I'm sorry I can't give you a total right now, but we... Um, Every, every bit matters so that we can keep all of the machinery going, the connections going, and keep connect your connection to what's going on topically and alternatively here in your community and beyond. Well, as I said, we're talking with Allison Sonnenschein, the founding director of, of the Orange County Women's Health Project. Uh, let's, uh, well, what's the impetus then of the forum that you've put together here? Well, we decided to host a conference as our first public stake in the sand, so to speak. And we hope to achieve three things. Uh, last year, we were able to arrange for a terrific graduate student here at UCI, Brittany Getch, who just oh. earned her master's in public health, to do some research. And if I may borrow a term from you, to cobble together some data sets and help us uh, pull the relevant information out about women's health 
so that we would be able to present some findings. So the first objective uh, is to share some data findings that we have put together through the course of a year about the state of women's health in the county. And we have a set of about 40 different health indicators that really shed some light on how women are doing. Um, secondly, we wanted to expand our reach and provide an opportunity for all of these various stakeholders to get together. So we're talking to healthcare providers up and down the line, physicians, nurses, midwives, and so on. We're also working with nonprofits, public agencies, educators, students, researchers, and other individuals who are involved in women's health. So it's, an, it's a forum for stakeholders to come together. And third, we want to begin the very important process of identifying priorities and developing policy recommendations. And through the course of our research, we have identified three areas that we feel merit particular attention. Let's hear those today. We, folks, we're going to hear it here first. The, so the three areas are breast and cervical cancer, intimate partner violence, and teen reproductive health. These are three areas where women in Orange County are not faring as well as their peers in other counties or not as well as they should according to national benchmarks. So we've decided to focus on those. We've put together some exceptional panels with local experts to talk about what's happening in the field, what the obstacles are, and how we can overcome them together. Well, I do want to, uh, with the... we. Um with all that uh, we have here in the time remaining, I want to go and uh, unpackage each one of those. I'm very interested in, I mean, the verbiage itself just lends itself to a, a really thorough and a respectful kind of attention, intimate partner violence. It's just, so you're, you're um, looking at any, this is a, a, a huge demographic and trying to sort of, with this sort of broad sweep, look at every possible way that women are assaulted in ways they, they wouldn't have known was possible in the relationships they're, they're, put, they're involved. That's right. It, intimate partner violence is the current phrase that refers to what is commonly called domestic violence. And I understand that it's a phrase that's been adopted to reflect that Oftentimes, domestic violence can occur in non-traditional relationships, but it is uh, violence that occurs between two parties who are in a close relationship. And what we have found in Orange County is that we do not have a very effective means of collecting information and reporting incidents of domestic violence. And there are some good reasons for that. Uh, but we it's hard to know how to improve the situation when you don't even know how bad it is. And... What little we have, we have a study out of the emergency room at the UCI Medical Center a few years ago, and then we also can look at police calls and police reports and hospital data that are reported to the state. Uh, we have found that the incidence of domestic violence in the county is comparable, if not higher, than in other parts of the state, and wow. that we don't necessarily have as wide a network of support services as we ought to. We have four fabulous battered women's shelters that do work collaboratively to provide services. We have a group of lawyers and judges who work with law enforcement to ensure that these types of matters are addressed and streamlined to the best possible effect. But I'd like to see, and we'd like to see as a group, linking health and considering what are the health impacts 
of domestic violence into the conversation. Wow. And and just as, uh, I'll give you an example. There's a terrific program, and actually one of our panelists, her name is Dr. Anna Nogales, and she is a psychologist. She has her own private practice, but she also founded a nonprofit called Casa de la Familia. And in the state of California, if you are a victim of a crime and you make a police report and there's a conviction obtained, then you're entitled to victims restitution funds. And there's a program that is in place in Orange County and I imagine in other parts of the state. If you meet those various eligibility criteria, then you can receive mental health counseling for whatever issues have resulted from the domestic violence that is at issue. And the victim's restitution funds can be used to pay for those mental health services. So I believe it's the district attorney's office in, L- in Orange County that is referring victims to Dr. Nogales's nonprofit organization. She has a crew of about 50 different therapists. And they know what they're in doing. In LA and Orange County, and they know what they're doing, and they are delivering mental health services. So it's a wonderful model for how you can link law enforcement and health together in the framework of domestic violence. But Allison, you said one thing that's sort of nagging me. You said there's some good reasons why the, why the trend or why, why something is occurring. I said that there are some good reasons why we don't have an effective reporting system. And it's really this. There are certain crimes of violence that are reported uh, as a mandate. They're mandated reportable crimes, child abuse and elder abuse. But domestic abuse, particularly if it's two adults, in a relationship is not a mandated reported crime. Wow. And there's a whole policy discussion to be had about whether it ought to be. But if it occurs and if the victim reports to the police department, then it can be prosecuted. But it's not reported to another agency as we report incidents of cancer, as we report uh, incidents of, of child abuse or elder abuse. So it's hard to track. Not only that, of course, there are still very serious social stigmas attached to being a victim of domestic violence. And that works as a disincentive to reporting. Well, I, I don't want to uh, over-focus um, on this one, but I, I but there's a lot to, um, to cover. The, but would date rape also be a part of, of the, the intervention then that's in, okay, so it's, it's really all, so then I'm concerned about the teen, the incidence of teen pregnancy in Orange County. I know it's it's in certain uh, demographic sectors. Uh, it's it's m- much overrepresented with Latina um, females. And so, uh, is that a sort of part of what you're strategically looking at with the with the health project? That is part of it. Orange County has if again if you rank the counties according to their teen birth rates, and it's actually an important distinction. We have right. data about birth rates and not necessarily teen pregnancies. Uh, but we actually are doing pretty well compared to the rest of the state. We're in the top third of counties in the state. But we have hot spots in the county where our teen birth rate is significantly higher than the state average. And California has experienced phenomenal decline in the teen birth rate over the last 15 years and has been recognized throughout the country for its public policy efforts to reduce teen pregnancy and teen births. Nevertheless, we're still not doing as well as we ought to. We still have a ways to go. And there are two 
reasons that are traditionally uh, credited with success in reducing teen births. One is access to contraception and family planning services, particularly if those services can be provided anonymously. And the state of California made a commitment years ago through a program called Family Pact, which is a special program within Medi-Cal that makes it very easy for women and men to access confidential family planning services in the state. And the second is the availability of comprehensive sex education in schools. So maybe that's the first one. I mean, that's what you start <laughs> with that, but it's second in terms of what you're targeting here. Well, they're, I really believe they're equally important, and they're both under attack from all sides. Uh, we have a, a terrific program in the state that has really been credited with bringing down the teen birth rate and unintended pregnancies in general in the state, uh, the Family Pack program. But every year it's on the chopping block, and uh, we're not sure where it's going to end up through healthcare reform. But it really is a model program. And there is some very good data demonstrating that for every dollar the state of California has invested in family planning services, it saves, I think we're up to $7. Seven, uh, not four. It used to be seven. five. Okay. I believe we're up to seven or in the high sixes. But there's a terrific return on investment there. Um, comprehensive sex ed. I think this is going to be, uh, for whatever reason, right or wrong, it, it seems like it's never going to leave the public controversy um, in our lifetime. And it's such a shame because there's so much good literature out there that demonstrates through evidence-based research methodology that comprehensive sex ed works. It really does help teenagers delay their first sexual activity, and then when they do decide, as teenagers or young adults, to engage in sexual activity, they're safer about it. They have a better working knowledge of what the risks are. They have better confidence in their decision-making, which, of course, is related to their self-esteem and their overall health and their uh, feelings about their future. Um, but also, it, it, it helps to in reduce the spread of disease and, of course, prevent pregnancy. And, and they just make better decisions because we've equipped them with the necessary knowledge. Thanks. Uh, Allison Sunshine is our guest on this part of Ask a Leader, talking about the um, women's Orange County Women's Health Project convening on May 15th here at UCI at the Student Center, the Women's uh, the Orange County Women's Health Summit. And uh, I think you've still got some slots open for people to come to attend if they're, um, I mean, you, you, your intended audience are policymakers, healthcare providers. Uh, health That's right. Well, it, the event is intended for people who work in health, whether as providers themselves, as nonprofit staff who deliver programs or education for students and educators. But we are very encouraging of members of the public who would like to attend. Perhaps they're volunteering in an area that touches on women's health. So the orientation is on ultimately to understand the data and begin the process of, of developing policy priorities and recommendations. And we welcome all to attend. And if you're yes. interested, uh, you can register online. And the website is www.oc women's health, all one word, ocwomenshealth.org. We'll include that in the podcast, folks, if you um, missed it this time. And, uh, well, we're running close to, but we still have to, well, let's, let's give her due. Uh, Terry 
Thorfinson, the chief of the California Office of Women's Health. She'll bring a special message to the summit. That's right. We actually have two phenomenal keynote speakers, and I feel that we are so fortunate that they are taking time to come down to Orange County at the, you know, as we're heading into an election year, as we're waiting on edge to hear from the Supreme Court about health care reform. It is phenomenal. Terry Torfinson is the chief of the California Office of Women's Health, and she is the highest ranking state officer focusing on women's health. And she's going to be talking primarily about opportunities for women's health under health care reform. As I mentioned, there's a terrific emphasis on preventive care services. Um, but also, she's going to talk a little bit about what's happening on the state because the state of California is preparing to move ahead with its own version of health care reform, regardless of what happens on the national stage. And there will be, in addition, uh, as an additional topic, some realignment of policy decision making from the state to local level uh, if Governor Brown's proposed budget moves forward as well. So three very hot topics, very timely, that she'll be talking about. And in the morning, Dr. Diana Bonta, who is the recently appointed president and CEO of the California Wellness Foundation, a fabulous organization that does uh, that makes huge investments in health up and down the state, is going to be talking about health policy and how we can use health policy to influence women's health outcomes. Wow. That, that's a, uh, it's, it's a comfort to know that this kind of, uh, I want to say, uh, dynamism, this firepower of uh, women uh, involved in health care delivery in the state of California are, are all getting together. And I, I imagine there's going to be a few aha moments and uh, there, in terms of not just, not just substance, but in terms of how they can be more, you all can be more strategic to, um, you know, pull this all off. And so it's great. It's if, the, if you're coming, I mean, they've made it very uh, easy for anybody to, who wants to sit in on this. Forty dollars get you parking, admission, and lunch. And I just wanted to know, um, will there be Allison any kind of a product? that's going a report generated from this so that we can, for those of us who can't go there the whole day or, or even part of the day, so we can see what happened and we can see what our role is in that. Yes. First of all, we will publish a report of the proceedings and we're hoping to record some of the keynote addresses and, and we'll post as much as we can online, whether PowerPoint presentations, references, or the actual recordings. Secondly, we will produce a report. We, as I mentioned earlier, this is the beginning of a process, and we do hope to develop a call to action with a document attached to it. But what we really hope to achieve is to set the stage for an ongoing process so that people who come to the Policy Summit and those who are interested, even if they couldn't attend, can continue to work together. The most rewarding part of all of this has been the energy in the room. It's palpable. So many people coming together, not having realized that there were so much work being done that is truly complementary to what they're already doing, perhaps in a different area of the county geographically, or perhaps it's a different type of discipline uh, that, as it turns out, is very complementary to the work they're doing. So there has been a terrific sense of energy and enthusiasm and uh, it just keeps building. Well I just wonder if you're reaching out to the uh, public 
office holders and, and hoping that some of their staff are going to be sitting in on listening this and figuring out what their uh, their boss's uh, role is in carrying some of the message. We have invited every elected official in the county, okay. and we certainly hope that they attend. And knowing this is an all-day affair, if they can come for any part, we welcome them, and we hope to be speaking to them afterwards. Amen. Well, I hope that uh, we'll we'll find out who was there coming and joining you. <laughs> well, that's about all the time that we have. This was Allison Sunshine, co-founder and director uh, of the Orange County Women's Health Project, who will be hosting the inaugural Orange County Women's Health Policy Health Summit. Good luck, Allison, with the turnout and sustain the synergy of all those health care luminaries that will be congregating. Thank you, Allison Sunshine, for coming on Ask a Leader. Thank you for inviting me, and best of luck with your drive. It's very worthwhile. This is an all-volunteer effort. I am so impressed, and I will be participating in the drive. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. We'll be right back after some station break, and folks... The opinions and views expressed on this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show or other programs on KUCI, please log on to KUCI.org for the latest program schedule. Everybody, thanks for joining us Ask a Leader today. My next guest is core member of the Orange County May Day Coalition, Teresa Dang. She is the uh, she is a grassroots community organizer advocate involved in such issues as legal access and justice. She's uh, with pro migrant policy and policy accountability. In uh, 2005, Teresa successfully defended against criminal charges that stem from a protest against the Minutemen Project, a border vigilante group based in South Orange County. Recently, she played a key role in the successful negotiation of the current Santa Ana Police Impound Policy. She's a volunteer and board member of El Centro de Cultura de México, core member of the Orange County May Day Coalition, and executive producer of Stop Stealing Our Cars. Teresa works to create optimal socio-political conditions in Orange County so that the poor and working poor families may thrive. The Orange County May Day Coalition is a community center coalition of organizations and individuals. Uh, that includes the um, member organizations are Chicano Unidos, De Colores Queer OC, El Centro Cultural de Mexico, OC Dream Team, OC Peace Coalition, Occupy Santa Ana, Rays, and the the local here, for the, the Janners, um Union that we'll talk about, and Tona Dintzantzin Collective. She'll help me pronounce this correctly. She comes to us from Santa Ana. Welcome to the show, Teresa Dang. Yes, thank you, Claudia, for having me on your program. Well, happy May Day to you. Happy May Day to you and to everybody listening. I mentioned earlier in the very introduction of the whole program, uh, May Day, May Day, gently but urgently that this is what us now moving the Labor Day uh institutionalizing that International Workers' Day, Labor Day, to the 1st of May, along with the rest of the world. So uh, at the May Day event that you're having at 2 o'clock today, and we'll give all the particulars over the course of our little conversation today, Teresa, it's going to highlight three different issues. That is 
meaningful and immediate public education reform. Meaningful is really important to emphasize. Mm -hmm. State driver's licenses for all and the janitor's struggle for a, a fair labor contract. Let's talk about each one of those, Teresa. Let's start with the uh, police uh, abatement and the neighborhood violence through in the really effective intervention and mentoring. Oh, yes. So the the police abatement, uh, police violence abatement work that I do is separate from the coalition. There are a lot of the same folks who also participate in that, but we are working at the neighborhood level and we're addressing issues of police brutality and police abuse. So, but I'd like to get back to um, the three issues that uh, we'll be highlighting today. So probably the very first thing, uh, the most timely, and this, this news just came through last night, is what's yes. going on with the janitors and their negotiations for a fair labor contract. So they have, they're not going on strike. I'm very happy to report that there will be no strike. This just in your head of the OC register, by the way. So we, we uh, I wasn't able to find out this morning on any of the breaking news. So Teresa Dang is bringing it to us, the status of the janitor's uh, union. Yes, I'm happy to report this uh, amazing breaking news in Orange County. Tell us what happened. 1,500 janitors and their families will not be going on strike today because the rank-and-file membership had a thumbs-up, thumbs-down vote last night on the owner's less, uh, last, best, and final offer. And it included a lot of what they wanted, including a couple important things, um, which is full family health care and also modest wage increases for the next four years. Wow. Congratulations, Teresa. Were you there or was was Yeni Diaz there or both of you? Um, no, actually, we have other duties because we are preparing for a very yes. big celebration today. So we had other duties. However, we were in close communication with the SEIU USWW, who is a member organization of the coalition. Well, since we were just devoting the first generous half hour of the program with uh, Orange County Women's Health Care, this uh, is certainly another way. And I, I imagine a coalition member might be a part of the Orange County Women's Health Summit that's going to be convening on May 15th uh, to uh, talk about you know uh, where health care packages are getting adopted with some of these um, the labor union inroads here. Congratulations, though, on that that uh, Thank you. Step Thank taking. you so much. And then today, uh, later today, Claudia, at the May Day event, we will be launching the coalition's two campaigns, and one is state driver's licenses for all, and then the second is to uh, declare a state of emergency and work on fixing the educational crisis, which has been a long-time problem. A slow-burning emergency. Well, let's, let's talk about the step-taking, though, with uh, offering uh, the driver's license, making them available for undocumented residents. That is a huge one. As we talked uh, uh, over a year ago with uh, the Dream uh, Dreamers, uh, Orange County Dreamers, um, uh, with the the collapse of the Dream Act, that it's so important to have that driver's license. It gets you everywhere and anywhere. We're, and we're not even gonna, we're not even talking about the safety factor uh, with. Um, operating an automobile, but let's talk about what that driver's license gets those residents. Oh, so we, we're fighting on the issue of state driver's licenses because we see it as an extension of inhibiting people's ability to be mobile, which we think is a human right for folks to be able to travel to where they need to, to be with their loved ones, to be with their family, to find work, and to find sustenance for their family and a tribal network of people that they care about. And so um, our work around the impound 
uh, unjust impound policy last year is part of that analysis. And then by extension now, we think that it's time for state driver's licenses to come back in the way that it used to be available before 1993 in the state of California. Well, Teresa, what was brought to my attention, too, is that with a, a driver's license, then you can you can get uh, other services. You can, you know, rent things, borrow things. You can prove your identification. You can, it, it's not just about mobility. It's, uh, we, we looked at in terms of it's, it, without that proper identification, you've infantilized a huge demographic. You're, you're right. You're absolutely right, Claudia. It's going to allow approximately 2 million undocumented people in the state to come out of the shadows and to be fully participating members of our society. So they can be 16 and older instead of under 16, the rest of their, uh, their you residency. You live out the age that you actually are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, when we think about that, that really is cr- very crucial. And so and the idea that uh, this, the safety factor of operating a, a motor vehicle with that driver's license, it, it, it's really, it has consequences for everyone, documented, undocumented, uh, the whole population in California and outside of California because the driver's license would be operated uh, beyond the state's borders. You're right. And in the larger context of federal immigration, we can't, we can't wait. And for how long are we actually going to wait for a solution to the broken federal immigration system? So for now, the Orange County May Day Coalition and all of its member organizations and allies have decided that we could best use our time to work some of the symptoms, to work on fixing some of the symptoms of the broken federal immigration system. So we don't hold our breath and actually wait for a solution to come from Washington, D.C., and you have an uh, unlikely uh, ally with Senator Florida Senator Mark Rubio, who has uh, proposed in a, his own form of a, a kind of dream legislation to he's taken doesn't have the dream in it, but he has considered uh, and is floating the idea of having driver's licenses being available to undocumented residents. So you're it's it's probably giving you a little wind in your sails to um, to make the point to the policyholders here in California who are aren't moving off that dime yet. So we think that our legislative leaders, um, as well as other leaders in the community, for example, the police or local, other local government officials, this should be an easy issue for them to get behind because it's really not just about undocumented folks. It's also about public safety. And yes. if we're all truly interested in increasing public safety on the roadways and also having more drivers have insurance and registration, this is definitely the way to do it. Well, we want to make sure everybody knows we're talking to Teresa Dang. She is a core core member of the Orange County May Day Coalition. Today you are holding at 2 o'clock, and we hope it's not dampened too much by the weather. You're going to um, convene at Sasser Park in Santa Ana at the corner of, I believe it's Ross and 4th Street. That's pretty downtown, and people can ditch their cars or drop off the bus conveniently around that section of town, Teresa? Yes, there is parking in the structures. Um, in fact, there is one by Café Calacas, and um, the, I forget how many levels it has, but it's really just one block away. If you park in the structure, you could walk one very short block to Sasser Park and join us at 2 p.m., and then there is a pre-march program with education and entertainment and some speakers um, for one hour, and the grand, uh, the main march will start at around 3.30, we'll march for one hour. And actually, this weather is its going to help us because I remember I think last year it was very hot. So we are inviting folks, despite this, you know, little hiccup in the weather, Just a little. to come downtown and join us. Well, what... Um Let's talk about, you know, how did last year distinguish itself? And then with that in mind, 
What is it that you want to make sure happens and is accomplished today, this afternoon? We have a successful program that we are um, we're taking lots of hits from last year. So um, last year we turned out roughly over 300 people, and there was a lot of art. There was a, a filming crew, and the documenting our own history is also another important component for the coalition. So we've really doubled up efforts that were successful last year to uh, make this year's march even bigger and better. So there was an entire art committee that was lit, led by our youth group, which is called Raiz, and also the documentary crew, who will be out there doing still photography and filming, has also tripled in size. So I'm happy to report that it is an all-hands-on-deck uh, effort, and there will be lots of community involvement to make this successful. Well, wonderful. I, I slobbered through the um, affiliated uh, organizations. Tell What's this Tonantin Collective? Who are they? Oh, Colectivo Tonantin, or in English, Tonantin Collective. And Tonantin is a Nahuatl word that means earth um, in the way that you might say Mother Earth. And they are an amazing group of grassroots activists in Orange County. They've existed for around 10 years now. And um, I think their most successful recent campaign has to do with challenging the anti-hornalero um, or day labor laws uh, in the city of Lake Forest. And so when the city of Redondo tried to follow suit and make their own anti-labor law, um, the high courts have struck it down based on what happened in Lake Forest. So it is an amazing victory. They've been working to help uh, day laborers who are one of the most vulnerable sectors of the labor community to be able to solicit work um, in open spaces, which we think is another human right, the ability to find work, the ability to connect with people who want to employ you. Well, good. I'm glad to know about that. We can uh, maybe have uh, some representative from that organization talking more about that because we can all learn more about that. Cause it's, yes, uh, that would be, that's a very good idea. Thank you. Well, yes, we'll, we'll work on that after uh, the show. So um, today, uh, as I was, we were talking about today at two o'clock, the, or, the Orange County May Day Coalition, and how many years have you been meeting on the May Day? Rallying. So the Orange County May Day Coalition really was a loose, informal, very flexible network of community and allies that have always existed and done grassroots, grassroots work in Orange County for the better part of 10 years now. But what was different about us last year is that we formally came together under the banner of the Orange County May Day Coalition so that we could provide some structure and continue working, working after May Day. Because for many years, folks would disband and we wouldn't uh, come together again until it was time to start planning for the next May Day. So we made a commitment to choose a, a winnable issue uh, that would make an immediate difference to the community here. And last year it was addressing the unjust impound practices in the city of Santa Ana. Um, and we committed to it. We committed to working uh, on it until we won, and we did just that. Congratulations. Every Thank little victory you. gives, I'm sure, you a little more vigor to to press on with the what seemed to be sort of insurmountable things. I, I remember when uh, the... The U.S. Senate was faced with the the whole Dream Act proposition, and I I actually between you and me and our public here, Teresa, the characterization in the press is that it was it 
that it didn't pass in the Senate, but I think the word was it was stalled. It could have passed, but it wasn't allowed to be voted on. So it, it came so close. So the weight, a weight of a setback like that, um, any little victory, I think, is probably a, a, a welcome in uh, in the sort of uh, ever piling uh policy issues to attend to. And let's now talk about what you're doing in terms of improving access and quality of education for young people. Yes, thank you. So we are barely at the beginning of our campaign now. Uh, we're taking the lead of Chicanos Unidos, another member organization of coalition, to de- declare a state of emergency on education. And the reason why we're doing that is uh, the broken education system today is a man-made disaster, and we are asking we're not, we're not just asking. We're, we're going to cause a ruckus. We're demanding that there is the necessary political will and resources um, be made available. We're demanding that the will and the resources be made available so that we could finally fix the education system. And the reason that uh, this is an issue that's so close to our heart um, and we have an urgency for it is that there are whole generations of young people of color who are lost. They're treated like garbage, and they're um, treated like castaways. And so we we think that our most valuable resources is our young people. And if we fail to uh, if we fail to give them the proper resources that they can advance and uplift all of us in general, that um, we we couldn't be headed to some better day all together as a society if we leave our young people behind. Well, thank you so much, Teresa. We've completely run out of time. I want I wish you a successful turnout today with an with abundant opportunity to bring new blood on board to your movement and thank you listeners for joining me today on Ask a Leader. That was Teresa Dang, core member of the Orange County May Day Coalition. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Teresa. Thank you, Claudia. Have a wonderful May Day. May Day. Happy one to you, too. So what we're going to do now is close out so we get George Rosales here shortly up on board. It's been my pleasure to keep it real, keep it topical, and keep it informative on this second to last day of the KUCI Spring Drive. I hope that you all set aside one or perhaps a couple more luxuries in order to contribute to KUCI. Thanks for joining me. George Rosales is up next on George Had a Hat. Thanks. Thanks.